0: Stakes and Stout, Chapter 2, School Days, A Catholic Education (laughs) School days are the best days of your life, me bollocks. I'd rather wrap barbed wire around me mickey and squash it in a vice, rather than go through all that again, I can tell you. One of me most abiding memories of school was the very first day. It was a fucking nightmare. Not because anything special happened, well, save for the fact that me liberty had been taken from me in so unceremonious a manner. It was just, just everything about it. Now, I was never told I was starting school. Ah, no, I was just dragged from my lab one morning in September 1968, saddled with an old satchel that stank to high hell of mouldy hang sambos and sour milk, and then thrown out the door with me older sister Imelda. My ma didn't even come to school with me for the first day, for Jesus' sake. Mind you, she'd a babby on each ditty at that stage, so she never really went anywhere. As I said, I was just shoved out the door and told to do whatever the teacher told me to do. I bawled all the way there that morning, and for no reason at all, really. I wasn't afraid or anything. It's just that this whole school malarkey was nothing but a feckin' inconvenience to me daily routine. There were orchards to be robbed, trees to be climbed, windows to be smashed... And sure only the week before had myself and a few of the lads discovered that painting frogs with tar and setting them alight was a great way to set loads of fires all at once in the high grass down by the poshies' golf course. I was good at that morning because I'd been catching frogs all the previous week, keeping them in a bucket under my bed, intent on seeing how they'd do at setting fire the Rafferty's garden alight that very morning. I knew before I even set foot in the place that school was not for me, and it never was, ever. It was the longest, hardest 13 years of my life and as far as I'm concerned it was also the biggest waste of time ever. Whoever invented the Jason and things should have his bollocks beaten to a paste with the flat side of a hurley before having it tossed into a blender for good fucking measure. That first day when Imelda dropped me to the classroom there I was all on me tod in a creepy old building that stank to high heaven of piss and moldy carpets. I hated it. Me teacher was a horse of a yoke, a big old culture heifer with a span of rye, and by far the biggest ditties I'd seen in all me short five years. Jesus Christ, they were fucking ginormous. And I remember thinking that the mammy could have done with ones that big because the two little babbies were a right pair of hungry fuckers. She minces over to me and says, And what's your name, young man? At five years old, being literally unschooled in the ways of regular and polite society, says, I, mind your own fucking business. Fucking hell for the size of her. She moved like lightning, I'll give her that. Before I knew me arse from a elbow, I was up on our massive side of beef arms and was being dragged, quite unceremoniously on my dad, to the back of the classroom. She threw me onto a chair and says, I'll put some manners on you, boy. Now you can just sit there and wait for the present. Don't even dare to budge an inch. So I just sat there watching all the other young fellas come in as the heifer bitch fussed over all of them and our elwens. I knew a few of them from around the estates, like, but most of them were complete strangers to me. For the first time in my young life that I could recall, I felt out of place and not exactly comfortable in my own skin, if you know what I mean. I was left sitting on that poxy chair all day and never got me fucking present, the lying fucking dog. By the end of me first week, I'd had it up to me back teeth in the place. Despite hiding under me bed every morning, I was quickly found and dragged down the road by me old lad and thrown into the classroom. And I tells you, I was in no humour for that old cow and her bag of yoghurt tits. Anyways, one morning she puts me beside a poshie. Well, I say poshie, but he wasn't really. I mean, he was from our area, but he lived in an actual house with a chimney and everything, and his old lad owned the car and all. His name was Winston Parvely. Now that's one of two things as far as I'm concerned, it's either very posh or it's fucking child abuse. Either way, to call a child Winston, well that's just fucking wrong. Anyways, I was put beside him and I tell you the look the fucker gave me when I sat down made me feel like the shite caked around a cow's hole on a cold morning. Then the bollocks robbed me pencil, two crayons and a ball of mollet, at the fucker. I remember thinking, fuck this for marbles, I'm having none of this. So lunchtime comes around and I sees him over by the swings. He was all on his tod. To add insult to injury, there was the fucker eating a bag of potato and spilling them bleeding everywhere. Now that to me was heresy. You see, I only ever got crips at Christmas. And here was this little wanker spilling them all over the gaff like they were nothing at all to him. And Jesus, that just made me blood boil. I found a piece of timber over by the janitor's shed because I was intent on doing a domo special on him. I sauntered up behind him, had a quick squeeze around to make sure the teacher wasn't watching, and then I fucking clattered him on the back of the head. Christ alive, it burst like a water balloon, and Winston went out like a lamp. I trundled the wood away, picked up his crips, and ambled merrily on me way, scoff-free, thank you very much. Before I knew it, we were coming up to me first Holy Communion, and teacher told us that we had to be best friends with Jesus, or we wouldn't be allowed to make it. That was fine by me, as long as Jesus didn't get to think we were mates forever, you know. Me ma was dead excited about the whole thing. She even brought me into town to buy new clothes for the big day. Now, this was the bizzo. You see, up until then, every tread of clothes I'd ever worn were hand-me-downs from the brothers. Jocks and everything, right down to the yellow patches, skid marks and all. The big day finally arrived in May 1971, and it was queer gas all the same. I mean... You had to get all dressed up in a fancy suit, the trousers of which cut that Mickey on me, by the way. You had to go to Mass on a bleeding Saturday. A Saturday! And then you had to go again the next day, same as normal, so you didn't even get away with it having gone the day before. And then they expect you to believe that that little piece of wafer you get is the holy body of Jesus himself. Looked more like an Askees wafer to me, but then my ma told me that the priest, he does some sort of magic trick or something, and presto, the wafer is now the holy Jesus' body. I tell you now, come the big morning, I was first in line up to receive, because hadn't Wally Mason told me that the best bits always go first, and I was fucked if I'd be coming up last and getting an elbow or a toe or some shite like that. And here's another thing. I'll never forget the taste of it either, or the non-taste more like. Do me a favour there, close your peelers and try to think of that taste. Now try and describe it to someone who's never had it. You, you can't, can you? It's impossible. Holy Jesus, tastes like nothing. Bit unsettling, really, that the creator of the universe doesn't even taste like an owl ice cream wafer, and him supposed to be magic and all. No fucking use at a kid's party, I tell you. And God, doesn't the holy body have a terrible knack of sticking to the roof of your mouth? You, you try to swallow, but no, swump, stuck to the roof of your gob. Oh, I'm convinced that's why people cover their faces at their communion. They're trying to hide one of their fingers as they try to scrape the good lord off their palate. Of course, it wouldn't be me good self if something didn't go wrong on the day. When it came to receiving, didn't me mind go blank as to what I was to say afterwards? So when Father Rafferty says to me, body of Christ, says I, thanks a million, Father. Jesus, the look he gave me would have withered the flowers on a china teapot. And him still pissed off at me because it had taken me 20 minutes in me first confession to tell him me sins. Chief among which was me unyielding devotion to getting me hands on New Latoumi's messages. Still... When all said and done it turned out to be a great day. The old fellow was in flying form for whatever reason, and sure wasn't that a bonus in itself. Uh, after traipsing around to all the relatives collecting me few bob, the whole family, all fifteen of us, took the train out to Bray for the afternoon, and Jesus, it was deadly. I had the grand sum of twelve pound five shillings in me foca and sure didn't I think I was Aristotle on asses himself, only throwing the cash around like snuff at a wake. We had ice creams with proper wafers, mind you, candy floss, two bottles of red lemonade each on Anna Peggy's leg. When the 11 of us kids got on the walls, there's loving Jesus, it turned into a Catherine wheel of Pink Vomit and every single bystander got splattered. It was absolutely the best part of the day. The next day, still flush and with a hole born in me pocket, I went strutting down to the shops, intent on spending a few bob. Now, way back then, I can tell you, we weren't living in the police state that we are now, so when the fancy to try a cigarette took a hold of me, sure, there was nothing between myself and 20 Woodbine. Mind you, Mary Mack and the tobacconist put me through the mill when I asked for them, but me silver tongue won out and off I strolled with a fresh pack of fags in me breast pocket. Never want to go off alone on a new adventure, I went and found Wally Mason, and off we went up to the Forty Glen to sample the wares of the Wills Brothers Tobacco Company. We hid ourselves away in a gorse ticket and set about lighting up our very first fags. Blazing we might have been, but we weren't fucking stupid. If one of our old lads had seen us, we'd have been wet blue till Sunday. Tell you what, but when it came to it, I wasn't half as keen as I had been. And suddenly I didn't want to do it. But there was Wally staring at me like I was an apparition at Lord's, And I knew I had to save face and just get on with it. They were much fatter than I thought they'd be, but then again, I was just a nipper at this stage, only seven years past semen and with hands like an action man. I was shitting myself, but trying to look as cool as I could in front of the other lad, I put one between me lips and lit it. It wasn't that bad to begin with, and I let it hang from the corner of me gob, feeling for all the world like John Wayne, until a ribbon of smoke went into me eyes, and Jesus, I felt like a dragon had pissed on me face, the fucking pain of it. By this stage, I was starting to wish that I'd never given Wally a shout because I could have just thrown it away there and then and gone home with nobody the wiser of me cowardice. But there he was, largest life, sitting on the rock opposite me, looking at me as though I was Elvis Presley or something like that. So I did it. I I took a drag and given what followed, it's a wonder that I ever put a second one to me lips. Sweet divine mother of holy lantern, Jesus. Me poor old body hadn't got a fucking clue what was happening to it and it wasn't shy in letting me know either. When that smoke hit the back of me throat and filled me pure and virgin lungs, all hell broke loose. I thought I was going to fucking die there and then in a fiery mess. Me lungs just kept filling up and I thought I was going to burst. I felt like a molested balloon at this stage for the love of God. Then it hit me brain and love and fuck. I hadn't been that dizzy since Uncle Grey Crack strapped me to a roundabout and fired it up with the back wheel of his Honda 50. Fighting the dizzies I still up. And I did my best to stay calm and look cool, but it was bloody hard, I tells you. me legs wouldn't do what I told them. It felt like I was walking on a boat deck in rough seas, and my head felt like it wasn't attached to my body anymore. Are you all right, says Wally? Ah, yes, says I. I just want to walk around i all. Sure, I'm only grand. Are you lighting yours up? Oh, yeah, I am in me bollocks, says he. Look what it's after doing to you. Fuck that, Tommy. Jesus, what are you talking about, pal, says I. Oh, I'm Grant the bizzo. Tommy, you're nuts," says he. You're got a funny green colour and your eyes are the size of manhole covers. Would you fuck off, I'm grand, says I, as I did me best to stay calm while every inch of me body inside and out was screaming, whatever the fuck you're doing, fucking stop it now. I tried to lean against the tree trunk and missed. Me head was thumping and I couldn't get me bearings at all. The old belly was churning around like a top load washing machine on steroids and me legs were shaking like mad. The other smarmy fucker was loving this though, the bollocks. Are you sure you're all right, Tommy, says he. Do me best to stop from bleeding fainting, says I. Grant, not a bother at all. Take another drag, says he, the belligerent fucker. I put the fag back to me lips and dragged again. Suffering divine Jesus, it might well be in a barrel of watery dog shite going into me gob. Because I fucking puked and puked big time. The other bollocks got it all over the top of his head, and Jesus, it wouldn't stop. At one stage, I thought my arse had been plumbed up to a septic tank, because it just kept coming and coming. I'd never seen so much puke in my life, and talk about dice carrots, loving divine Jesus. There was enough there to keep the cast of Watership down, fed for a decade. I couldn't even catch me breath and I honestly thought I was going to drown in me own vomit. Still, I held on to that fag like a drowning man to a rope because I'm a scabby bollocks and sure hadn't I paid for it after all and I was fucked if I was throwing it away. It eventually stopped and I collapsed on the ground in a sweaty green heap trembling like a dry alcohol. That was possibly the most traumatic experience of my life. Well, at least up until I married that dog. Uh-oh, I now have the pleasure of calling me ex-wife. So upset was I from the whole incident that after regaining me composure, I-, I took another drag to calm me nerves and started the whole Jesus process off again, except this time me belly was empty and-, and I'd swear I cracked a couple of the ribs from dry reaching. But I stuck at it, determined bastard that I am, and by that evening I was smoking like a pro. I could inhale up me nose, blow it out me nose, blow rings, the whole shebang. Jesus, all I was missing was the poncy cravat and the smoking jacket. I smoked so many fags that day that come evening time I sounded like Ronnie Drew chewing rocks. I've been smoking ever since, forty a day, and no sign of stopping. Sure no wonder I have the lung capacity of a gnat and a heart like a mouthy apple. The years flew past as they tend to do when you're a nipper, and sure didn't fourth class come flying around like I don't know what. We were given a new teacher, and Christ alive, she was nothing short of being Lucifer and fucking self. The bitch. Her name was Sister Concepta Assumpta. But we all called her sister shite breath. The woman stank of the stuff. Her breath smelled of it. You could even smell it off her skin. She absolutely reeked of it. Now, the gym in our school, as you can imagine, was a fairly big room. And yet you could go up in there, up to an hour after she'd merely walked through it. And the place would stink as shite. And I'll tell you this. It wasn't just normal shite she smelled of. Ah, no. Because at least that would have been a small mercy. This was something else altogether. Do you remember when you were a nipper and your old lad might have spent the day on the Guinness? But remember the smelly leaving the jacks the morning after? That stingy eye hit the back of your throat blanket a shite stink. Well, that was Sister Brett's particular bouquet of excrement, if I was to be delicate about the matter. And another thing, the woman was falling apart. We actually considered the idea that she might well be a zombie or a vampire or something, it was that bad. Jesus, there wasn't a day that you didn't find a bit of her on your desk or on the carpet. A fingernail, a clump of hair, a bit of skin. And I'm not talking dandruff here. I'm talking cornflake-sized fucking lumps. I don't know what was wrong with the woman, but it's a wonder there was anything left come the end of the year. She was an evil, cantankerous bitch. And when I say evil, I fucking well mean it. She'd make that young one from The Exorcist look like Dorothy Gale, for Christ's sake. One of her favourite pastimes was lettering the shite out of your knuckles with a metal ruler if you so much as dared look at her sideways. And another thing, she had absolutely no time for any of the impure thoughts that seemed to constantly occupy our filthy little minds. There was one day a young fella called Peter McLaughlin brought in a Rudy book and we all had a good goo at it over a couple of smokes at the back of the boiler house. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life, but I tell you this, I liked how it made me feel. Peter gave me a page out of it and Jesus, I was delighted with myself. Your woman was bleeding gorgeous and in the nip, the total nip, like you could see our messages and everything. After lunch that day, I was in the jacks having another ogle at her before we started afternoon lessons. And after doing me toilet business, didn't I only go and leave the feckin' thing on the cistern? About an hour into afternoon lessons with old sister Brett, who only goes into the jacks but Winston Parvley himself. I thought nothing of it and was getting on with me sums when the next minute Parvley lets an unmerciful wail out of the jacks. The other one was over to the door in the flash, hammering on it like the clappers. What's going on in there, says she? Nothing. Silence. Winston, says she. What's wrong? Then, a squeaky voice filled with fear could be heard. There's something wrong, sister, says he. What's wrong, she asks. There's something wrong with me, says he. Well, come on, boy, says she. What is it? What's wrong? There's something wrong with me, Mickey, sister, says he. Oh, you vulgar little boy, she screams. Get out here at once. I can't, sister, says he. There's something seriously wrong with me, Mickey. It keeps standing up on its own and I can't go for a pee. Well, the whole class was in ribbons with the laughing as she dragged poor El Winston out of the jacks, his mickey standing to attention like an FCA recruit. Lord, have mercy. She bet the bollocks out of him. Literally, poor Parvley got eight whacks of the ruler to his business. And I doubt if it ever stood to attention after that. I can tell you the poor horny bastard. Sixth class was on me before I knew it. And that's when things started to get serious in both me education and on the social scene, if you know what I mean. It seemed we spent all of that sixth class getting ready for two things, secondary school and confirmation. I did me entrance exam for secondary in December that year, and Christ, it was hard, I can tell you. I hadn't got a fucking clue. I walked to the school, trudging through the snow and a pair of me old lad's white work wellies, and Jesus, didn't I get stick for that? I thought I was the bizzo strolling along, me toes all nice and cosy and all. So up I marched to the main door where a crowd had begun to gather. I cuffed the smoke and took a sneaky few drags every time I thought it was safe to do it. I didn't want to dirty me bit before I'd even started in the place, you know. I was standing there, minding me own business, when this big prick from Cabra Saunters over to me and starts slagging me boots to bollocks. Before long, a crowd had formed around me, and I was torn to shreds on everything from me boots to me fledgling sideburns that I'd been trying to grow out in honour of the King, the Lord have mercy on him. Now, I'm a scrapper, I'll never deny that. But I'm not fucking stupid. The cabra prick seemed to have a lot of mates there and I was all on me Todd, So I bit me tongue and did me best to ignore them, the fuckers. Before long, the principal came out and led us all into the exam hall. And Jesus, I was shitting myself. Cause street smart I might be. But when it comes to sums and spelling and that, Jesus, I might as well be a cabbage in a field. We were seated alphabetically and wouldn't you know it wasn't a big prick from cabra sitting next to yours truly. He looked at me like I was a shy covered leper before setting about opening his exam booklet. So I just ignored him and opened me on. Mother of sweet and holy Jesus, it was like looking at the cryptic crossword in the window, except backwards and in Chinese. I had not a fucking clue what I was looking at. Nothing, and I mean absolutely fucking nothing that I had ever learned in primary school was of use to me in that exam. Nothing I had ever learned was on that blinking test. It was like an audition for the Krypton Factor, for fuck's sake. So I just sat there for the hour and a half and pretended to look busy. The other prick beside me was scribbling away like he was WB Yeats or something, flying through the test like fucking Rain Man so he was, while Dopey here just sat and drew boobies in the answer spaces. With just ten minutes to go, your man finishes up, seals his book, writes his name on it and then asks to go to the Jacks. I didn't even think about it. There was no plan. It just happened. In the blink of an eye, I'd swiped his book, made the necessary alterations with me pencil and rubber, and I put my book back on his desk in its place. Did I ever feel guilty about doing that? Yeah, I did. Did I think about swapping them back again? Again? Yeah, I did. Was the fear of me old lad baiting that very boil out of me for failing greater than the other two? You bet your fucking arse it was. Anyways, even if I'd changed my mind, I'd only put me book on your man's desk before the principal came down and took it up. A week later, my ma got a letter from the school that said I was just about Einstein himself, and sure she was only delighted. Whatever happened to the prick from Cabra, I don't know, and I don't care. None of his mates ever started in the school either. So there you are, I was in, he was out, and that was that as far as I was concerned, was all that mattered. The other big thing that school year, as I've mentioned, was me confirmation. The one thing that struck me about the confo was that you had to take the pledge. You only had to go and make a secret deal with God that you wouldn't drink or smoke till you were 18. Sure, I thought that was the weirdest thing in the world. I mean, you didn't have to tell anyone you took the pledge. So if the hankering for a beer took you in the intervening years, sure, couldn't you just lie and then beg forgiveness in confession? A win-win situation as far as I was concerned. And another thing about the confo, you didn't get at them. I mean, on the day you just walked up to the bishop and he said something like, Ta-da! You have the Holy Spirit. And that was that. No holy bits of Jesus or anything. And I wouldn't mind, but I was fucking starving that morning. After looking at all the pictures in my catechism over the years, I was expecting the church to be filled with the hot and holy wind of God and a little flame to land on me head. But it was nothing. Fuck all of nothing. The candles didn't even flicker, for God's sake. I was gutted. By this stage, I was starting to think that this whole religion malarkey was nothing but a sham with a few magic tricks and a million rules to keep you in check. The only good thing religion has given me as a child was a chance to go begging a few bob from me relatives on a couple of occasions. Oh, and two new suits as well. The rest of the time, religion just scared the shit out of me. I mean, there was purgatory, hell, brimstone and fire, eternal damnation, and the threat the holy God knew what you were doing the whole time. Jesus, it's a wonder I ever touched me Mickey at all. I remember about four months before the confo, Father Rafferty came in to speak to us lads. Sweet divine, by the time he was finished, I was scared stiff to even look at me Mickey, never mind having L no play with it for the fear of going blind or it falling off. For three or four months after that, I wouldn't take a piss unless I had me mass cooking tongs to hold it. So scared of burning in hell was I. So it comes time to take the pledge. And as I was already smoking like a chimney by that stage, I didn't say the words when it came to that part. I did, however, say the bit about the drinking. I lasted all at 37 hours in fairness. It's another strange thing about the church that they wait till you're 12 or 13 on the very edge of becoming a young man with your old hormones going off like fucking fireworks before they tell you that Mickey messing and girls are a sin. But then they go and tell you that God made us in his own image, Mickey and all I suppose, and that we have free will. Talk about fucking you up. So I went with free will. Have done ever since. I made 28 pounds and 50 pence that day and I was a lot cuter this time around. No trip to Bray with the family, no Peggy's legs, no candy floss. I had a 20 a day habit to feed and besides hadn't I a terrible goo on me to try a pint of stout. The evening after the confirmation, myself, Freddie Collins, Jimmy Breen, Wally Mason and Johnny Taylor clubbed in two quid each and got Jimmy's older brother to get us a few bottles each. We met up at the black shelter at the bottom of the golf course driveway and Jimmy, in fairness to him now, produced the goods. He had a huge canvas pack on his back that clinked as he walked and Jesus, that sound was like angel song to me ears. To the top of the golf course I thought we'd never get. I couldn't wait to get me maulers on six nice cold bottles of Guinness. When we reached our little spot, Jimmy said about divvying up the bottles, but there wasn't a Guinness in sight. What the fuck is this, says I, holding up a bottle of red-brown muck from some kip of a brewery in the Midlands. Tommy, says he, it's all we could afford. I was fucking gutted. I don't remember the name of that beer or even the colour of the bottles, but I can tell you this. To drink it was like pouring acid down your throat. Jesus wept. Actually, it was worse than acid. It was like drinking barbed wire soup with razor blade croutons. But intent on getting pissed, we persevered. By the bottom of the second bottle, I was three sheets to the wind and in love with the world and his uncle. Until it came time to piss and anyways, Christ alive, it was like pissing panel pins and glass. Me bleeding flute was in ribbons. A third bottle calmed me down and the news that Neula Toomey and her friends had said they might make an appearance gave me Mickey the power to move unassisted. Sure enough, as it got dark that evening, the girls arrived. There was more jostling and whatnot between us lads as to who would pair off with who because no one wanted to get stuck with Rebecca Davis who was, I'm sad to say, a terrible scack altogether. After the girls arrived and before what's what could be sorted out Nuala had me by the hand and asked me did I want to go for a walk with her. So off we go stumbling out into the darkness. I'm half cut, a fag in hand and only just gone 13 years of age mind you. Sure it's no wonder I've turned out the way I am for God's sake. As we made our way down to one of the greens, I'm doing my best to fight a dizzy fuzziness that I'd never felt before. I can hear her off in a cloudy distance telling me that I can't use my tongue when we kiss, but if I behave myself, she might let me touch one of her boobs. I was starting not to care. This drinking business wasn't like I'd imagined it at all, and all of a sudden I wanted to be tucked up in my lab with a glass of milk and a hot water bottle. She tells me that if I tell a soul that she let me touch one of our rumpy drums, she'll have her brother knock the shit out of me. We sat down on the green, and I was paralyzed. I didn't know what to do or when to do it. She takes me arm and puts it around her shoulder and kisses me on the lips. I close my eyes, because that's what they always do on the telly, but suffered in Jesus, the dizziness only got worse. At that stage, I actually thought that I could feel the world spinning beneath me. I tried to pull away from her, but she pulled me tighter and clamped her hand around the back of me head. Now, oh, tongues me bollocks, I remember thinking. It was like she was trying to lick me appendix by this stage, and I didn't like it at all. And then it happened. Projectile vomit hasn't got a patch on it. This was missile. No, water cannon vomit. And Christ, I thought it stung going down. It was like wet fire. I didn't even get a chance to turn me head away. Me chances of ever getting me hands on Nuala Toomey's messages evaporated the second that red spatter of half-digested ale splattered all over her pretty face. Leaking like a burst sewer, I grabbed me three remaining bottles and fucking legged it out into the darkness to the sounds of Nuala cursing me from a height as she herself began puking too. I'd blown it. Me first ever chance with Nuala and it was surely me last as well. I went down by the canal and stupidly finished the rest of me bottles before stumbling home while eating dock leaves to hide the smell of drink and hoping against hope that me old pair were in bed. When I woke up the next morning, Jesus wept. I had a hangover you could have taken a photograph of. Me eyes were like piss holes in the snow and me teeth felt like they were wearing iron jumpers, for God's sake. Me ma thought I had the flu and kept me home. It was a good job too, because I'm sure Nuala's brother would have fucking killed me had he found me. With only two weeks to go, I I kept up the sick act and stayed off. I never went back. And that was that for primary school. Onwards and upwards, me friend. Hey, thanks for joining me on Off Me Block. I hope you're enjoying Tommy's story so far. Next week, it's Chapter 3, The Singing Student, Secondary School, where Tommy discovers love and his singing voice. Off My Block is available on Anchor.fm, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please be sure to like, share and follow. And thanks for listening.